This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Hey, it's 12.03, Tuesday afternoon, March 14th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Michael Jordan's last dance basketball shoes going up for auction. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the Consumer Price Index rose 0.4% in February and 6% year-to-year. That keeps pressure on the Fed to raise interest rates. We're joined by Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. Gus, thank you for joining us once again today. Now that it seems that uh, the the markets believe that the uh, bank failure contagion has been contained, uh, all eyes go back on the interest rate hiking scenario, uh, because even though the CPI number that came out this morning was nice to see, it was within economists' expectations, it just underscores the fact that the Fed still has a long way to go to reach that 2% target. Uh, that's right. You know, depending on the measure that we're looking at, we're seeing inflation of somewhere between five and six percent. That's well above the Federal Reserve's two percent objective. Uh, we are starting to see a slowing in inflation, but it still remains elevated. And I would expect that, uh, given everything, that we'll see the Fed raise. Per, uh, the Fed funds rate by a quarter of a percentage point when it meets next week. Now, there was some optimism on the part of investors that maybe the uh, failure of the Silicon Valley Bank uh, could lead uh, analysts to take a look at other banks to see if there are other uh, trouble spots lurking inside their balance sheets, but that may not be the case. And on top of that, uh, even with uh, uh, stress on the banking system, the Fed is still very reluctant to raise interest rates. And there was an interesting story about how even as the bank Banking system was collapsing in 2008. Uh, the Fed didn't cut interest rates until they absolutely had to. That, that's right. I mean, you know, the Fed is concerned about price stability. It's concerned about financial stability. Uh, so they face a very difficult task ahead of themselves uh, to raise rates enough to cool off inflation, but without causing real distress in the financial system. Uh, and given that, I, you know, I, I still think that they acted aggressively to contain the bank issues uh, that we'll still see a small interest rate increase next week. There is some concern uh, among some analysts. So uh, whenever the Fed begins hiking interest rates, that uh, something can, quote, break uh, when you're raising interest rates that high and that fast. Uh, What is the definition of the Fed breaking something with uh, raising interest rates? I think I would define it as problems in the financial system that then spread to the real economy that have implications for consumer spending, business investment, uh, employment, that type of thing. I think what we've experienced so far is is not breaking, uh, but there is concern that as rates continue to move higher and as we feel the lagged impact of the rate increases over the past year, uh, that that could cause more substantive problems for the financial system. I'm hoping that isn't the case, but uh, we won't know for a while. And then a quick look at the February CPI report. Uh, Anything in there that's encouraging and discouraging? 
Well, certainly the fact that we continue to see overall inflation slow is encouraging. Uh, what's discouraging is that we continue to see high services inflation, particularly once we take out uh, energy services. Uh, rents were up sharply over the month. Uh, you know, that is going to continue to put uh, pressure on inflation and put pressure on the Fed to act. Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, a pair of legendary Air Jordans could be yours if you have more than seven figures in cash to spend. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. An iconic pair of Michael Jordan sneakers from the Bulls' last dance season, 1997-98, will be on the auction block at Sotheby's. Let's talk about what it will take to get them with Stephen Fish. CEO of ComicConnect.com and Metropolis Comics, based in New York. Stephen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I would imagine if you took a whiff of those gym shoes, this a phrase that, call, that comes to mind is from a relative who is a cattle farmer in Iowa. And if you walk around their farm and just take a deep breath, uh, you smell uh, the, the collective scent of hundreds of cows, and it's not very pleasant. And uh, the farmer's response is always, that smells like money. And uh, if you take a whiff of MJ's gym shoes, uh, nearly 30 years old, I'm guessing the answer is that smells like money. Well, I think if you if you call them gym shoes, obviously it sounds like it's a cheaper cheaper price point. I think you have to look at these as just a conglomeration of a whole bunch of amazing attributes. Uh, the, the Last Dance documentary featured on there, such a pivotal... Uh, 1998 game uh, that I think people fondly, fondly remember. I think the fact that it was given from uh, directly from Michael Jordan and has been off the market for all this time, it would be one thing if it bounced around from collector to collector and everybody was able to say, oh, I had that. But this has never been sold. So it really is just a matter of what is somebody going to willing? What is somebody willing to pay for it? And what are two people willing to bid against each other in order to put it in their display case and go, "Ooh, ah, uh, I own it. it." It is a tremendous piece. The shoes worn during Game Two of the NBA Finals, and because everyone pretty much knew at the time that this would be, at the very least, the last time this particular Bulls team would be together uh, before they were all lost to free agency. Was there an effort to keep all of this stuff and and to carry that forward when you know it's somebody's last season? For example, when you know maybe this is Tom Brady's last year, do they start keeping this stuff knowing it's going to be valuable decades down the line? You know what? That's a great point. Absolutely. It's literally like the last game at Yankee Stadium. You're surrounded by the original Yankee Stadium. You're surrounded by history. I, I assure you that everybody who was in the stadium was very well aware of the significance of that game, the significance of what was going on. And I don't think and I don't believe that these shoes were saved sort of as an afterthought. I think they were they were treasured when they got them. They were saved all these years. And and I'm sure that the person who uh, uh, got them from Michael Jordan directly at the stadium is very lucky and fortunate that he didn't sell it off years ago. And I think this is obviously 
uh, a pretty good time. But I do think, I, I think your point is correct. These were absolutely known to be historic at the time. And, and you know, as the years have gone on, the legend of, of what that series was has just grown and grown. And then very quickly, just when it comes to Michael Jordan's statue as a worldwide figure, does that drive up the price because you have more bidders from around the world, say, compared to a piece of football memorabilia or baseball memorabilia, which the stuff has greater resonance in the United States compared to, let's say, Europe or Asia? Oh, well, certainly basketball is a huge sport, uh, specifically in China, but a huge sport worldwide. So if if one particular sport is really viewed as an American sport um, and basketball is viewed as a worldwide sport at this point, I think then you have a uh, just a bigger range of people around the world going, I love Michael Jordan. You might not have that with a you know a, a European football player. You might not have that for a baseball player, but you certainly do have that um, in a significant way for for the for basketball. And there's only one Michael Jordan. There is he stands above everything. So if there's one player. And one uh, iconic set of sneakers that's going to drive the people into the bidding marketplace to get these, it's going to be his sneakers. Stephen Fischler, CEO of ComicConnect.com and Metropolis Comics, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next on this Travel Tuesday, tips for flying with your kids. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday, and in this segment, we're discussing ways to make air travel with kids a positive experience. Let's get some tips from Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief of SheBuysTravel.com, based in Chicago. Cindy, thank you for joining us uh, once again to talk about uh, families and travel. It's one of my favorite segments of the week, and that's because it's it's so relatable, not only to me, because I have three young children at home, but to so many other people. Everybody has at least one good story and one war story about traveling with your kids, especially on airplanes. And uh, there's a lot of balls you have to keep in the air when you're uh, taking your kids on a, on a cross-country flight. Oh, absolutely. One of my riders at She Buys Travel just was flying from Delaware back home to her uh, home in Oregon and with her four-year-old alone, and the the airline did not put them together. And she said to the um, gate attendant, she said, you know, if I left my four-year-old with strangers for six hours, I would be arrested and my kid would be taken away from me by Child Protective Services. But you're telling me that that's the rule to get her on an airplane. Now, for me at least, you know, the hack that we utilize, and we have one flight per year with all three kids, and that is you take Southwest, you have young kids, family boarding, you go after the A group, uh, just load them up with candy and the iPads and headphones, and they're a delight all the way down to Orlando and back. Um, some people, though, you may not live in a Southwest city or you have preferred status on some other airline. So what are the family boarding policies on United or Delta or American? Well, they're different in every airline, and they're changing rapidly right now. So even what I say today may not be true when you're booking a flight next week. So you should always check with your airline. But one way to, I mean, the way you can always know they're going to sit next to your child is to pay more for the seat, right? To pay for the seat assignment. But as we all know, anybody who's flown lightly knows that airline fees um, 
plane tickets are expensive. And if, and if you're adding on all these extra fees, it can get prohibitively expensive, especially for someone like you who's traveling with a family of five and you're buying five airplane tickets. So I, I too, am a big fan. Um, we always recommend Southwest if you have that choice with families, their family boarding policy. Um, Southwest uses an open seating policy and they board in an A group, a B group, and a C group. And families with kids get to board between the A and the B group. So you're, there's always seats in the back of the plane where they can sit together with their kids. And that's really important. Um, as for how to entertain them on the flight, I've never been a big um, proponent of candy because it could be dangerous <laughs> on a flight. But I am a big proponent of iPads. Just remember to bring um, earphones, child-friendly earphones. We have um, a story on She Buys Travel that talks about um, products that you need to fly with kids and child-friendly ear earphones because your neighbor sitting next to you doesn't want to hear the Disney song over and over again. Oh, while come on. I mean, I, I think the whole <laughs> section needs to hear what's happening on Octonauts. A sing-along. There you go. That's how to entertain everyone on a flight. And 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 very quickly though, you know, we we talk about the various technical things you have to do as a passenger to get your kids on the airplane, but it's also, I think, parents have to bring the right mindset too that you know things will go wrong and you have to roll with it and kind of accept it with good humor because your kids will take uh, their cues from your emotional state. Oh, that's so true. Absolutely. You've got to be prepared for anything. And, you know, I can't say this enough. I've said it so many times during the pandemic and before. Being nice really matters. If you can't get a seat next to your kid booked on a plane, try at the gate. Be nice to the gate attendant. The planes are very full these days, so chances are the gate attendant won't be able to help you. So your next um, thing is to throw yourself on the mercy of the flight attendant. I was on a flight recently, and this the row ahead of me had two big burly guys, one in the aisle seat, one in the window seat. And I heard them um, commiserating that they were so excited that they had the only empty seat on the plane between them in the middle seat. And just then uh, the flight attendant came up and asked the guy on the aisle if he would switch to a different aisle seat so that a mom and a three-year-old could sit together in that aisle seat and the middle seat. And he said, no. And the flight attendant said, okay, no problem. I'll just be bringing the three-year-old up here to sit in the middle seat between you two. And that guy got up so fast out of that seat, you would have thought it was on fire. <laughs> Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief of SheBuysTravel.com, based in Chicago. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station. News Radio 105.9. 
The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A judge reverses a ruling involving secretly made tapes being played at the ComEd bribery trial in Chicago. Moody's Investor Service cuts its outlook on the U.S. banking system to negative as customers of failed banks worry about their money. Travel Tuesday. You need to get moving now to make sure you get the summer trip you want. WBBM Business. The markets are higher. The Dow is up 130 points. The Nasdaq up 182. The S&P 500 is up 41. We have 30 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies. Going up to 37 today. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour. The federal judge presiding over the ComEd bribery trial in Chicago has reversed course ruling that secret recordings made of former Illinois House Speaker Mike Madigan and his allies will be released. They'll be made available to the media after they're played for the jurors. U.S. District Judge Harry Leinenweber reversed an earlier decision regarding the recordings, which he made last week. It was challenged by the Sun-Times and later the Tribune. People with money in Silicon Valley Bank are not necessarily buying President Biden's message of calm following the collapse of two banks over the weekend. Most of Silicon Valley Bank's customers were tech companies, and some, including Dr. Gerson, CEO of Rad AI, says he's glad the government has taken over SVB and Signature Bank. Most people assume, I think, that if they put money into a bank, that money is going to be there, especially for a business. He says it was tough not knowing whether his company was going to go away overnight as a result of something unpredictable as a collapse of a bank. Allison Keyes, CBS News. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are higher. We're joined by Art Hogan, chief market strategist with B. Riley Financial based in New York. Art, thank you for joining us today. The markets are still higher, but they've trimmed their sales somewhat uh, from the gains earlier in the session. Is this a sign that as far as traders and investors are concerned, that uh, reality is starting to set in? Well, I think reality set in pretty quickly. I, I would argue... Uh, last Friday, uh, when the SVB news was really hitting, and remember that came on the heels of uh, Silvergate Bank going under the waves, and then over the weekend, uh, Signature Bank. So clearly, you know, there's still more dust to settle in terms of us disseminating which of the regional banks have the wrong sort of asset liability mix, especially as it pertains to duration, which just basically means, you know, are you are you do you have deposits that uh, can leave easily and and would it cost you money to liquidate some of your treasuries depending on their maturities so i think that's just that, that's much more of the hey let's make sure some of these other several hundred regional banks aren't the same as silicon valley bank and they likely aren't and let's make sure this is not systemic but i think what the federal government did over the weekend likely infused a lot more confidence in depositors that they are likely going to be protected with an implicit guarantee of depositors even above that $250,000 level. So I think things are much more calm today, but we, we probably still have more stories that need to be told in regional bank land. And it also, it seems to be that the, the White House announcement over the weekend uh, very subtly rewrote the mission of the FDIC, that uh, it's it's no, that the, the $250,000 limit is no longer the limit, that uh, the government will be there to cover you even if your deposits of well above a quarter million dollars are at risk. Yeah, well, I think there was a lot of uh, news to unpack over the weekend coming out of the government. And one of those, which seems to be, you know, something that would be helpful in this rising interest rate environment is, you know, for a bank to be able to put 
together, yield to maturity um, uh, pools of assets, and then borrow against that from the from the federal government. And, and clearly, putting that aside, meaning you have safe and liquid um, uh, investments, but with you know rates going up, they're, they're, and yields going up, they're worth less than they were a couple of years ago. But held to maturity, you're still going to get 100 cents on a dollar. So I think there's a lot of machinations into you know what went into the news coming out over the weekend. I certainly think there's more good news than bad news. But the problem is once we find you know sort of one or two or three problems, we make an assumption that there's a lot more to be found. I think that if there's an overreaction in this market right now as it pertains to financials, it's much more towards the money center banks, the big, uh, too big to fail banks, the uh, systemically important financial institutions, as they're as they're called. And and uh, any sell-off in those, I think, is to be bought. As a matter of fact, they seem to be a, a net. Um, um, positive place for nervous depositors to go. I, I'm just about every Silicon Valley company that talked, uh, you know, on on the media and the, the business news yesterday and last couple of days has talked about opening up an account and fill in the blank. It's J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Citibank, Wells Fargo, et cetera. And then uh, very quickly, uh, based on the fact that uh, bank stocks bounced back this morning after yesterday's route, it would seem that uh, investors have talked themselves off the ledge, as it were. Oh, for sure. But remember, so let's say the average regional bank is up 15% today. The average regional bank is still down 30% over the course of the last five days. So we've clawed back some of those losses, but we've got a long way to go. And, you know, still, still, you know, not the all clear signal, but certainly a better feeling today than it was, you know, as we entered the weekend. Art Hogan, chief market strategist with B. Riley Financial based in New York. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday, and in this segment, we're helping you to get organized for summer vacations before you run out of choices and prices go up. Let's get some direction from Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale, Arizona. Angie, thank you for joining us today. And I don't mean to brag, Angie, but uh, we have our... Our big summer vacation road trip got that thing lined up in January. I, I, I feel like those people will get their taxes done on January 1st. Right. Congratulations. And I agree. Now is the time to really start planning because availability is going to become an issue if you wait. As far as when to plan, I mean, obviously, there's certain things that you want to do at the time that you make your reservations, things like um, looking into trip insurance, because there's policies, of course, you lose those benefits if you don't secure the policy at um, at the time you make deposit, such as pre-existing conditions. Other things that you definitely want to do, especially when traveling internationally, is to verify that your passport expiration date isn't an issue. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point, because I think a lot of people may have, uh, last time they looked at their passport might have been before COVID, and uh, you don't want to be in a situation where you're packing your luggage and then you look at your passport and it's like oh we're inside the expiration window and it's it's too late to do anything about it so yeah check it right now right you know you definitely want to check that passport before you even book your airfare and other things when you're traveling internationally vaccinations um verifying whether a visa is necessary do you want to take medications with you in, a, in areas where there's malaria and things like that and, um, of course, you know, making sure that you know that you're prepared for the seasonality, the weather, what to pack, and um, really planning ahead for when you get there. What are things that are going to be sold out if you don't buy those tickets in advance? A lot of um, admissions into museums can sell out in advance, such as the Holy Cost Museum in D.C. 
And then when it comes to uh, booking your airline flight, I know there is always a little bit of a dance to be done. Um, how, how do you, you know you got the right fare? And it's always like 60 days out. That's usually the, the sweet spot to get the best price. Is that the case in your experience? Well, you know, the airlines haven't been our friends lately, meaning they're really looking at raising those prices, and there isn't always the rhyme or reason. I mean, I would like to say it's supply and demand, but the prices are high right now. Um, So, of course, always evaluating whether you have miles that you can use. I mean, cash is king, so if you can... Um, book flights with points. And sometimes it's, it's, we assume that round trip airfare is going to be more expensive, but sometimes you can get a better deal if you look at multi-ways or buying individual tickets and being creative um, or starting your destination in one place, maybe renting a car and then coming back another route. So you can be really creative and sometimes you can turn one a vacation into more than one destination. So have fun researching the different options. And of course, if you're flying, um, you know, check in, you know, 24 hours in advance. Ahead of that, you're going to want to confirm whether you have seat assignments. And the airlines are charging more frequently for seat assignments. So um, be aware of that as well when you look into your overall price. I know sometimes you think you're getting you're purchasing the less expensive airfare, but if adding all of the prices related to baggage and seat assignments starts to add up, sometimes it's a better deal to pay more for the airfare and traveling with an airline that has um, a better overall package in terms of the cost associated with traveling with that airline. Boy, howdy, are you correct on that? Because uh, there have been some times when I'm looking at airfares and I say to myself, my goodness, what a steal. And then, you know, there's a $200, uh, uh, <laughs> there's a $200 go on a plane that actually flies fee. And then all of a sudden it's not uh, nearly the bargain you thought it was. Correct. In loyalty programs, if you're loyal to an airline, you might be able to get free baggage. Um, So, you know, making sure that you consider the benefits of using a credit card that maybe offers uh, some incentives. And and another note before you travel, it's really important that you notify your credit card company where you'll be traveling, because if you're in destination, you're probably sending money. And the last thing you would want is for the credit card company to put a hold on your your card and cause, you know, some stress while traveling. So make sure you do that and always carry cash. You know, the travel industry has really uh, suffered, um, obviously, via the pandemic. And then now there's a lot of people that are overworked in travel. So they really are earning those those cash uh, tips that uh, consumers and, and travelers are providing. So carrying local currency is always well advised. And if you're traveling and you're arriving early someplace, remember you're going to have that full day and not necessarily be able to check in your room. And on the flip side, if you're suffering from a delay, if your flight's delayed and you're getting in late, keep in mind you are going to want to call your hotel, especially if you're you're arriving into the wee hours. You don't want to lose your reservation and be considered a no-show. So do uh, stay in contact with your hotel, letting them know if you're a late arrival unexpectedly or pre, you know, planning and, and letting them know if you're, you have a planned late arrival. Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thanks for joining us. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
Moody's Investor Service has cut its rating on the U.S. banking system from negative to stable. Let's talk about the potential implications and fallout with Dick Beauvais, financial strategist for New York-based Odeon Capital Group based in Tampa. Dick, thanks for joining us today. This flies in the face of some of the commentary and maybe some of the belief by some investors that maybe the contagion that afflicted the Silicon Valley Bank has been contained. Well, I think uh, the the issue is really the uh, balance sheets of these uh, banks. In other words, as we've kind of noted before, the, these banks, you know, essentially do not show the, the real equity in their companies because accounting rules allow them to shift money uh, as they choose between different uh, accounting entries. So, you know, Moody's may finally have decided that, you know, we don't like the fact that this is not the real equity of this of these companies that are being published. We don't like the fact that the companies use uh, something called return on tangible common equity. We don't like the fact that, you know, there is a, a, a distance between the growth rate of the earnings per share of the companies and the uh, net income of the companies and, and, and so on and so forth. In other words, there are so many uh, disconnects between, you know, what what these banks are showing, and I will call it the real world, that Moody's have, should have long ago uh, raised serious questions about uh, the, the financial statements of these companies. And if they, uh, I think they went to negative. Uh, if they, they do that uh, now, I think it's, 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 it's about time. And then, and by the way, I think the government should too. And, and then, very quickly, Dick, where is the uh, the greatest risk? I mean, is it the big banks? Is it these uh, regional banks like Silicon Valley that were kind of below that deposit threshold? Um, where where could the uh, the landmines lurk? Well, I, to be quite honest with you, I don't think there are any landmines there. I think that you know what we're looking at is a lack of confidence on the part of depositors in these banks. Uh, and therefore, the depositors are pulling the bank, uh, pulling their money out. Therefore, the smaller banks, you know, in that sense, are at risk. But a landmine to me is if the bank has a serious problem in its loan portfolio. And at the moment, you know, we're not in a recession. Uh, no bank uh, is, is stepping up with, uh, you know, statements concerning real problems in its loan portfolio. I mean, I think loan portfolios are weakening because we will be in a recession. But at the moment, the, the it doesn't appear to be any landmine in the banking industry at all. Dick Beauvais, financial strategist for New York-based Odeon Capital Group based in Tampa. Thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.